Okay, here we go. Nice and quiet. Sound speeds, camera rolling. Holding for sound. Last looks. Calling for last looks. And set and action. I need to swap batteries. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I am Alark Brissell. I am the founding host of the podcast. I've been crewing up on sets for over 10 years. I've made dozens of films, shorts, and features as either a producer or a director, sometimes a sound person even. And I'm just finishing up my first feature as a writer-director called The Alternate. I'm Liz Manischel. I'm a writer-director-producer with two features under my belt and a third that I'm attached to. Um... I'm also a former film critic and a current distribution consultant who used to manage creative uh, who used to manage Sundance's creative distribution initiative. And fun fact, I didn't shower today, so all you YouTube watchers, you get an added bonus if you watch this. Um, added bonus to that, I rarely shower before these, um, but I did shower today, <laughs> so I'm up one up on Liz. Um, Offsetting each for, other for today only. Um, <laughs> This week we have writer Mishna Wolf on the show to talk about writing her latest feature, Werewolves Within, which I actually watched and loved, and I'm probably going to buy when, it, when, it, when I can oh. rent it because it was so much fun, and I, I want to see it on my, my big screen with surround sound. Um, it stars Sam Richardson, who you probably know, uh, not the name, but definitely the face from Veep and many other hilarious things. He is... One hell of a hilarious person. I really like him. Um, Milana Vontrobe? Vontrobe? I don't know how to say her last name. She was very good in it, too. And then George Basil, who you probably most likely know from Crashing, if you watch Crashing, um, as a sleazy boyfriend. And uh, a host of other very fun actors. Where the Wolves Within is a video game adaptation of the game by the same name by Ubisoft. And Misha talks to us through how she got the opportunity to pitch at Ubisoft how she found Werewolves Within within their catalog, and her process to get the film written and ready to be shot. Mishna goes through her process as a writer as well, like just not just through that video game, but just as how she writes. Um, and then uh, she also talks about what was important to her in crafting a werewolf movie and her love of genre, which we get to geek out on a little bit, which was great. And, um, you know, how she pulled that into the script. We don't often talk to writers who aren't also directors, so I thought this was a really fun conversation, uh, very different than um, the normal kind of, uh, you know, making movies is hard interview, um, just to see it from the writer's perspective. Um, so yeah, hope you guys like it. But don't go away, because after the interview, um, I'm putting myself on the hot spot with my short film, Conflict, which I made a couple years ago, um, which hardly was seen. It was actually part of a thing we did on the podcast, which... I think maybe the, the 20 of you who probably were listening at that time might remember. Um, we did like a, a iPhone challenge um, thing a couple years ago before Liz joined the show. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I've never really gotten any clear, constructive criticism on this. No, no one really has told me what they think of this movie. So I'm really excited to hear what Liz and our guest contributor, Ritesh Mehta. Is that how I say it? Mehta? We'll find out. <laughs> um, who's like a, you know, festival uh, programmer, a reader, um, you know, just like a really fancy movie, like, you know, critique. Like, he's not like, a, he's not a critic, really, but he's more like he reads scripts all day long. He consults and he, um, you know, scores scripts and then he also uh, programs for festivals. So, like, this guy is going to really... 
he's going to bring it, you know, which is funny because, like, Liz and I are just movie watchers who are also, you know, filmmakers who are also just love movies and we just talk about what we think, but we're not. I mean, you were a critic, but I wasn't um, ever. So I was a critic on, like, a Wayne's World version of Siskel and Ebert. <laughs> Sounds amazing. It I doesn't watch really that. count. Um, yeah, and then after this craziness, uh, we read a letter from a familiar, familiar name to the show. And uh, if there is time left, we will also read some YouTube comments. But I don't think there will be time. Because judging by the way I'm taking so long just to intro this, there's going to be no time. Um, but yeah, uh, without any more, you know, spouting of phrases, uh, here's our talk <laughs> with Mishnah. So I alluded to this before, Mishna. This is the, these are the rapid fire questions of our podcast. So the first one, you ready? I'm, I was born ready. Okay. I was um, born ready to say, I don't know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so can you give us the elevator pitch for Werewolves Within? Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it, uh, who done it with teeth? Um, it's, uh, you, you know, it's uh, a small town in New England uh, has a werewolf and they decide to take justice into their own hands. How could that go wrong? <laughs> That's good. How many days trip. did you? Yeah, exactly. Um, how many days did you shoot the film? I don't know because uh, I was only on set for uh, one and a half days. So, oh, well, I'm wow. gonna love the answer to this next question. Um, what can you speak to with regard to the budget? Um, I I was instructed not to talk about the budget. <laughs> <laughs> they were pretty clear on that one, yeah. so I'm gonna pass on that too. Yep. But um, uh, it was it was a it was a it was a lean and mean movie. Mm-hmm. It was a lean and mean movie, and it was it was always designed to be lean and mean. Um, and then, how long did you spend working on the film from writing it to it being released? Um, so I wrote the film. I am the screenwriter. I'm not the director, the, the wonderful and remarkable and hilarious Josh Rubin is the director. Um, but I was writing on it for, um, in all the drafts, I'd say just under a year. Oh, so, geez. you know, there were, it was just under a year. Um, there was a, there was a quick first draft, a lengthier second draft, um, and then two quick polishes. And then it went to Josh. He did a quick polish as we went into production. So he was hired on, I think, um, either late November, or early December, and we had to shoot in February. Um, so it was it was pretty quick, uh, all, all in all. It was from, from the first time I said, hey, I think I have an idea for this video game, um, to, um, to um, sort of pitching it out with Ubisoft and then signing on uh, to Josh shooting it was probably, we probably had it in a can a, a year, year, year and change later, year and a half maybe at the most. I am um, putting a pin in like three additional questions. Um, get ready for another pass. How big was your crew? Um, yeah, I, I don't know exactly. I, 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 Josh would know exactly, and I could look at the call sheet and <laughs> probably tell you, but um, it, it wasn't enormous. I mean, everybody had to fit in the Beaverfield Inn, which was our, you know, uh, you know, our uh, creepy New England mansion that. Uh, that sort of uh, ha- you know worked as wardrobe and hair and makeup and a bunch mm-hmm. of locations and you know um, you know the uh, the, the uh, 
something city that I forgot the word, uh, Video City, and uh, and uh, it was just like <laughs> Video Village. Video, Video Village, Village. Yeah. Thank you very you much. I feel, yeah, every now and then, I you know my uh, my lack of getting out of the house rears its head, and people <laughs> see it. Um, I'm not the one who leaves. <laughs> So compared to all the other projects you've worked on or written, how difficult was this one? That's the last question. Oh my God. This was a dream. It was just a, it was a project that saw green lights from the, 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 the moment my head sparked to the idea to the very end. Um, and I know that that is not something that happens every day and uh, th that making movies is hard, but um, this one was not hard. Wow. Well, that's the dream. Um, how did you meet Josh? Let's start there. I, I actually didn't meet Josh until he was hired on to direct the film. And it was maybe like, uh, I would say about a month and a half before he was actually on set shooting it. So um, it, it, it all came pretty fast and heavy once the script was done. Um, we were rushing to pro into production because um, we needed snow. So. Um, there was like a real, this had a real time thing. Like there was, I was still writing. I was, I was just finishing the second draft um, and the first polish as we headed into spring of the next year. And they're like, yeah, this is shooting next winter. So, you know, there was always this, there was a, a little bit of a gap for the studio to look at directors, look at cast, you know, um, but then really quick decisions had to be made in order to catch the winter. Okay. So you wrote this script. Did you write it with Ubisoft, like signing off on it first, or did you just write it and then say, "Hey, what about? Can we make this? Like, how how did that happen?" Yeah, so I will tell you. Um, <laughs> I was uh, I, I was sent on a general to Ubisoft. Um, I uh, Ubisoft. I um, I liked video games, but I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be a sausage party." Um, <laughs> and I went to Ubisoft and. Um, had this really great meeting the woman i met with there i met with an executive who's no longer there and his assistant was this woman margaret boykin who's a genius and she had actually read my sample before i came to the meeting which i think if you guys know that that's a really rare thing <laughs> to have oh. someone has actually read your sample and can reference it in the meeting like with real with real knowledge and um so I just had this really great time with Margaret and um, it was fun and it was funny. And, and, you know, you know, when you get into a room, there's a certain rhythm and you feel really seen and you feel like you really see the person you're sitting across from and you guys just have a lot of the same sensibilities. It was that kind of a meeting. And I was like, wow, you know, I, I really liked this assistant. And like a month later, the assistant is now the executive and, um, and, she has started this Ubisoft Women's Fellowship and she reaches out to my agent and says, does Mishnah want to apply? And I applied. Um, and basically it's a paid fellowship. And I'm going to plug it here a little bit because when I did it, it was only open to people with representation. It's now open to everyone. And I think the first year it was agents. The next year it was people with agents and managers. And now it's like anybody can apply. Um, and they pay you to pitch on, that's one of the big differences. It's a paid fellowship. So you're paid to pitch off their awesome IP and they really open the vault and and let their uh, fellowship people, it's one person a year for film, one person a year for TV. But I got to go through all their backstop, anything that wasn't slated for a movie basically. 
was what I was looking at and I was playing all the games and this werewolf uh, VR game, Werewolves Within, just really sort of stuck in my craw. And, I, I, you know, wake me up at night with the what ifs. Like, what if, you know, what if it was modern day? And what if it was set in New England? And what if there was some class stuff going on? And there was like a, you know, a, a dispute between them about some environmental stuff. And, you know, and it sort of all really came together pretty quick and easy from there. Wow. Maybe too quick. Uh, no. <laughs> No, this is amazing. I so also I just watched the movie. I literally finished it a half hour before uh, jumping on here, and I lo- I loved it. Awesome. I mean, what's not to love? It's got everything a geek wants in a movie. Um, but uh, anyways, like so, what, what I just think of, and I'm a gamer. I don't know if you, you were a gamer before this experience, but um, what? What other games did you play? Like, what other options were there? Like, did you were you close to other things that might have happened, or was it just this Werewolves, Werewolves Within just was the one? I looked at a lot of things. I was on Steam um, for for a lot of it, and um, this was, but this one really jumped out at me for its um, motion picture potential, and partially because it wasn't a narrative game. Mm. And um, what it was, was a social deduction game. And the way it works is there's a bunch of people sitting around a fire and they have different avatars and they're wearing VR and a lot of people come in with their friends and they give their friends a hard time. And you would think they would try and figure out who the werewolf is and get rid of the werewolf, but that's not how people are. They make really biased decisions and... um, they vote people out based on the avatars that they have. And so there was like a pettiness that people brought to this game that I thought would really work as a motion picture. Um, because it, it, you know, the whole idea of it is private justice. And, you know, we've seen that go wrong so spectacularly so many times in so many ways. And I thought, you know, I want to, I want to bring my version of like really terrible private justice to the screen. And uh, and the big what if for me was like, who are these characters, you know, because I knew I could use really fun, big comedic archetypes. And that's really thrilling. I, I always wanted to make a big ensemble comedy. And, um, you know, it just seemed ripe for that horror comedy mix that, you know, I, I like to sit in a dark theater and watch. Can we talk a little bit about process? I mean, both Ulrich and I um, write our work and I'm on like the third draft of a horror feature that's going to go like 70 drafts. So I hear your process for this project and how quickly it moved. Is it normal for you to kind of crank out these scripts or are you really thinking that this was an anomaly across the board in terms of development, writing, production, everything? I think for me, the thing that takes a long time is the pitch. Mm. Um, I think that's for me, I really um, want to think things through. I, I really need to know more. In order to make a 20-minute pitch, I need to know 40 to 55 minutes worth of things for me. And that's just because my writer head needs to know how to write it before I feel like I can pitch it. I know a lot of people that do not work that way. They have their, you know, they're just like, whatever, I know this, this, and this, and this, and the rest, you know, I'll just discuss in the room and we'll come up with something. Um, I don't feel that way. I feel like I, that's the place where I really overwrite. And um, so 
things didn't change that much from pitch to script. And that was helpful. And, um, you know, a, a draft is, you know, there were a lot of things that there are things that need to be finessed that were being finessed right up until the, until the movie shot. So I'm not saying there aren't things that are problematic and stuff like that, but, um, I think one of the things that really helps me go fast after I've figured those things out is I, I did stand up for a long time and, um, and I told stories in front of live audiences and I was like a, a live audience storyteller. So one of the things you experience when you tell stories in front of audiences is you experience failure mm. and you experience losing an audience and, and the experience of taking risks in front of a live audience is something that has, I felt like at the time was really laborious unpaid work. Um, but it, it's actually like really honed my sensitivity to, oh, we're gonna lose them here. Oh, this would lose them. Oh, we're taking too long with this. Oh, and by we, I mean me and the characters, cause like I'm not working, I'm not, you know, I'm not sitting, the royal we, um, but, um, you know, I, I always ask myself the question when I'm reading my own work after I've written it, what would I rather be watching? And I, I think that I have such a short attention span and so much, uh, and, and I've watched so many things that I, I, I really want things to be entertaining from beginning mm -hmm. to end, and even when I'm reading. So that's just my process. It's just always asking myself, what would I rather be watching? Um, talk about like the, the, you know, getting the pitch to, to be greenlit and like getting that yes, you know, from uh, Ubisoft and then what happens next? Like, do they say, oh, you have a, a year to write this script. It needs to be done by this time or like what happens, uh, you know, from there? 10 weeks. I have 10 weeks, um, <laughs> oh, to write wow. the script, um, oh to write God. a draft. I think actually it was in my contract that I got 12 weeks. Um, and it was really important to me. Um, this was my first movie that I sold from a pitch and I wanted to, um, I wanted to be on time. You know, I really wanted to show up and be on time. I, I think, you know, um, I've always wanted to be someone who people said, Oh yeah, she's a real professional. Um, so, um, cause there's so many other areas of my life. I'm so wildly unprofessional in, I felt like, you know, <laughs> just turning a script in on time and, and having it be, you know, what I pitched and, 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 you know, you know, a decent, decent draft was really important to me. And, um, I put a lot of things aside in order to do that and, and really focus. So, um, you know, and, and it was really like when the first draft came in, it was amazing because Jason Altman, I mean, there were, you know, it needed work still, but Jason Altman was like, we're going to make this movie. He's the the president of Ubisoft motion pictures. He was like, we're going to make, wow. we're going to make this. And, and it, this is a really fun movie. I, those are two things he said to me in that first notes meeting, everything else is a blur, but. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, amazing. Like to get like your, your first draft, you get, you turn in to get the feedback. We're going to make this movie. I mean, that's gotta be an incredible experience. I think I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't think I, I, I didn't, you know, they, they told me from the beginning that we're going to make this movie. I was like, okay. Yeah. Oh, you know, I'm, I keep, 
keep plugging. But uh, yeah, that's good for you. You think you're going to make this. Um, But they they (laughs) they did. They made this movie. You said that the script didn't change too much from your draft to the shooting draft. And I'm just curious about your protections as a writer in the contract phase. Like, did they have the ability to kill characters or do a draft run rewrite? I mean, were were there things that you and your lawyer and your representation kind of like shielded you with legally? Or was it kind of the, could they have done something differently? So actually, uh, what I think I said was it didn't change that much from the pitch, pitch to, the sorry, first tra- to the script. Um, it changed a lot throughout the process. And and Josh came out on after me and um, going into production, he did a wonderful polish on it as well. Um, and he did something really smart and combined two characters. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of what happened throughout the process is uh, characters were eliminated. So there were a couple more characters that um, got eliminated along the way um, that were fun, but just were taking up too much space on the page and or in the budget or in the budget yeah and we just had to get tighter and tighter with things and uh it didn't you know you know i had to ask myself does the story change if i get rid of these two characters um and the answer was like not so much um so at the end of the day protected in that way to say like you like did you get approval is what i'm trying to get at like how how much influence did you have over the final draft I always felt supported by Ubisoft. I always, always did um, feel supported by Ubisoft. And they always, um, they let me go down some cul-de-sacs too. I mean, it was a really safe space to be creative in. And it's a small group there, but they have really good instincts, I feel like. And, you know, Margaret Boykins, a really, really smart, smart um executive and and jason altman who comes from the the game side has amazing story instincts he just has really great instincts and he trusts them and they really trusted me they they like the way i thought from the beginning and the way we talked about story was really natural and collaborative and supportive and so i always felt like it was it was it was i always felt like it was my baby and they were going to help me um realize my vision and then when it was done it was you know it was always going to be the thing that gets directors like that was what i always felt like i was writing i was writing the thing to attract a good director so um then it went out into the world and the world of directors and like i didn't hear from them for a while and i was like oh my god it's not going to get a director nobody's going to want to direct my movie this is so sad um and then they were like yeah we have a bunch of people coming in to pitch on the movie and I was like what really they were like yeah they're just, you know and they started sending me decks from different directors and links to other work they'd done and really included me on that process too and then when when Josh came on um Josh Rubin the director he was really also very inclusive um we sat down he wanted to know why I'd made certain decisions he had things he needed help figuring out he figured them out I mean I didn't I was not much help he's a great writer too um but you know some some snow issues there's a lot of there's like when you're writing you don't have to think about like oh this scene there's no snow and then in this scene there has to be lots of snow (laughs) (laughs) so you know there was there was stuff like that 
um, production stuff and things like that. He was like, okay, uh, this is what I'm thinking about right now. And I was like, oh, I never had to think about that. Good luck with that. <laughs> so, I mean, you probably, I, I, I'm not sure how much involvement you had in this, but like the cast of the film is incredible. So when you were writing, did you, were you thinking at all about the kind of cast that they would have? Or is that something that you're not involved in at all and that just kind of came um, after Josh was attached? No, I definitely, um, I when I started out and I was sort of keeping track of all these characters, I made like decks and mood boards and I gave all the characters like sort of a credo or a worldview that helped me um, know that where their dialogue came from. So, you know, for uh, Trish, she had, you know, she had her worldview and, and, and Marcus and Gwen um, had their worldview and, and, and everyone had their own sort of like, this is this is this is my philosophy about outsiders the town you know getting along with one you know they all had their voice um before i even went to write the movie so that was part of my pitch um is just you know thinking about what actors could play these these roles and and just really giving them a strong point of view uh before i even sat down to write so that they didn't sound the same i wanted them to all chime in with their different worldview towards every situation that came up. I, I really was thinking about maximum conflict. Like who's the character on this side that's going to create maximum conflict with this character here? And how do I pit them against each other um, to sort of in, in the funniest way possible? So, and then it was really easy to think of who Finn Wheeler had to be because Finn Wheeler had to be a nice guy who hates conflict and is really uncomfortable with it. And everyone's telling him, hey, you're the ranger. You know, you're the only law enforcement person here. This is, you have to handle this. And just the amount of um, acrimony and, and conflict was gonna make him uh, just mental. It, it's like so fascinating to me because like I'm pitching on these films right now as a director and I'm doing decks and I'm doing all these lookbooks and I'm hearing that as a writer, in order to have the opportunity to write a project, you're doing the exact same material in order to create the world and to pitch the world. Is Are those materials passed on to the director as, as they come on board or is it just part of your pitch? It was just part of my pitch, but it was honestly, a lot of it was for me so that I could keep such a large cast straight because it's, it's a large ensemble and you know, if, if it was about a family and there were three characters or four characters, I, I don't know if I would need that, but um, I, I wanted these characters sort of to play off each other in certain ways and have, you know, there were arrows in my thing connecting their, their um, sort of umbrage with each other. So it was like, this one's got this thing with this one and this one's got, just so I could create this world in which, um, everyone's got a little backstory with each other and a little friction um so that it when that spark of a werewolf kill or just a kill that that's the spark of like the first body showing up um it, it immediately ignites these resentments so it was very important to me to keep their worldview straight and also their resentments with each other straight and and to also to have to deliver that to someone else and have them keep that all in their head while I'm taking them through the their arcs and the a full 
you know, uh, a full, you know, 95 pages of, of, of story, you know, um, they're able to see it visually and just keep, keep track of all the people I'm talking about. It's a lot of names. Um, I have two questions. I can't, I'm trying to decide which one to ask first. Um, I think I'm going to ask a kill question. Um, so you have a lot of kills in the movie. There's a lot of deaths. Um, a lot of them happen off screen. Um, was that always as written or was that something that had to happen due to budget? Not a lot off. Are there a lot off screen? I didn't feel like there were a lot off screen. Well, I mean, I guess the first one, you know, like you kind of see something coming at him and then he dies, but you don't really see like a head get ripped off or you don't really see any like werewolf action. And it's because of the way that you want the movie to make you guess, like, is there actually a werewolf through half of the movie? But I'm just, so I guess that maybe that was intentional, you know? Yeah, I, I, for me, it was very important. I, I feel like for me, a lot of creature movies get ruined when I see the creature. And that's not true with all of them, but certainly low budget creature movies. I feel like the scariest thing is not seeing the creature. Um, and that was, it was always my intention that we're just not gonna see this creature right off the bat. Um, and um and i'm spoiling it for people who may be watching it and think maybe there's no creature or you know uh because that is also a misdirect i I was i had so many misdirects planned that i just (laughs) i did not want to i didn't want to rob anyone of a good friggin misdirect and you know most of the kills in the movie are just um what's in the room kills so there's the syrup tap and the the poker and the um you know just new englandy things people die in new englandy ways <laughs> did you watch a lot of werewolf movies that that informed you or did you was that not part of the plan i did i watched a ton um i watched a, there you know it there was a there were a lot of fun werewolf movies in the 80s and there were a lot of less fun werewolf movies in the 90s and and early aughts it seemed like people tried to revive the werewolf in the early aughts and it just it didn't go as quite as planned but um you know a lot of the movies i watched were kind of like horror type whodunit uh, whodunits that that i really was thinking about i you know i love the alien movies um but particularly the first one because everyone's not who they seem to be and the mission isn't what you think it is. And that was a lot of what I was thinking in terms of when I was when I was thinking about this movie and sort of less about werewolf lore. Um, Cause quite honestly, even though I, that stuff about Argentina and you know them killing the seventh borns because they're werewolves, <laughs> um, that is a hundred percent true. <laughs> And there's a lot of really fun, interesting werewolf lore. I didn't want to get in the weeds on on that. I really wanted to focus on the characters and their resentments and their fears. So it was a lot more about, you know, what makes humans divide and not cooperate and not find common ground. And what do we owe each other as human beings versus, um, you know, what is the mythology of the blah 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 because I, I never really like that stuff so um the other question i was going to ask is about like you do such an amazing job of making it seem like it could be anybody who is the werewolf throughout the movie or like who's the one killing this who's behind this and the way that it unravels and the end is is pretty um awesome but the question is 
like how were you able to juggle all that story and and like all these things that have to line up in order for this person to be potentially the person or this person to be the potentially potentially the person like that must have been pretty tough to like give everyone a pretty good reason to you know be behind all this yeah but that's the job right i mean it's um (laughs) that's screencraft um that part didn't and that part was just good friggin fun i mean i i told jokes for for like 10 years i was in stand-up and you know all that is that's a lot of like fake left go right um so that kind of stuff feels like sort of second nature to me in storytelling and misdirects are such a huge part of storytelling um that you know creating a lot of misdirects was always going to be part of this story and I, I i you know as early on as like my take like when i was like i'm kind of thinking about this property and here's what i think we could do with it you know i, I was really thinking about really fun mr x mm-hmm. um i love MacGuffins. i love mr x um they're my favorite thing you know ash and aliens is one of my favorite characters of all time um i love um i love wilford brimley and the thing um you know just like can i can i come in now language he's in the shed can i come out of the shed now um just i just dig him just dig him. um i have questions that aren't about the movie but so Ulrich, do you have another movie specific question um no i just really enjoyed it good job (laughs) (laughs) thank you Ulrich. you're you're an you're a really easy uh a hardball in it right (laughs) Um, We like to ask the people on the show about career, sorry, career sustainability, um, because they think there's there's this myth of Hollywood that people are actually living off of the art that they create. And so I was just curious, are you is is that your day job is your day job as all your income come from fulfilling independent um, independent writing, or do you have to do some one for them, one for you? How do you build a career in, in this field? Um, well, like I said, I started off as a, um, I started off actually writing articles and I wrote like humor pieces. And then I was super young and doing, I did stand up, like I said, for a long time. And I sold jokes. I used to sell jokes to ABC radio for their Jack FM stations. And I would have to write like a thousand a month. <laughs> And I would write like a thousand jokes the Sunday before they were due. It was really, but they really liked me. And I liked, it was just a great thing. I just always be writing is, is sort of, has always been my motto, but I haven't always gotten to write in the mediums I've wanted to. And there haven't always been those opportunities. Um, I've gotten a few fellowships that paid the bills for a little while. I wrote a, a best-selling book that was helpful. <laughs> Um, if you can do that, do that, write a best-selling book. Um, but it's also like, then there were, um, speaker fees. Um, so I've cobbled it together and like the book paid for, it's just like, you know, it's always, you know, I I got, you know, there's a Rat Pack movie and I can't remember which one it is, but someone asks, I think it's Dean Martin. Maybe it's Dean Martin or Frank Sinatra and they say, how you doing? And he's like, I got a week at Paramount. Um, and I feel like that kind of sums up any show business career. It's like, well, I got a week at Paramount. Um, 
and then who knows what happens on Friday. Um, but it's, it, you know, it's sort of worked out that way. And my husband's also a writer. Um, and, you know, God willing, we're eking our way through this, this world. Um, but it's, you know, it's not, it's not always as glamorous as one would think, but, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm really happy with this movie coming out. I feel like it's, it's definitely having something in the theaters is, is a huge stepping. It's, it's, it's like a, a moment for me that I, I never knew I'd ever see. So, um, after you, uh, you know, had sold the pitch, you know, you wrote the movie and everything. Did that help you get more pitches or has it really not had that kind of a direct effect on your ability to go out and, you know, pitch more movies? Well, then we went right into the walkout. Right. And oh. so, you know, I, I, you know, I simultaneously like got this movie greenlit and then lost my agent at like the same time. So right, right. it's, it's been, you know, a weird, you guys are writers, directors, so you probably didn't have the same experience, but, um, but you know, for just straight up writers in features, um, you know, the walkout was, was with certain agents, um, the walkout was really like, and you're on your own and scramble to find out who, you know, and, um, so, it, it's you know it's it's it was quieter than I think it would have been had there not been an agency walkout. Um, that's for sure. That being said, um, you know, I'm I'm gonna be fine. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> so you're finding more opportunities to pit to pitch, basically. Yeah, don't and worry about Mishna. She's gonna be fine. She's I gonna guess be fine. The other question is like, is the movie coming out and being in theaters like a catalyst for more work? you think or is that yeah yeah you know it's not i don't know that it's a catalyst for more work and i don't know that i necessarily am going to get more meetings but what i get from it or i'm starting to see happen is the benefit of the doubt which i always felt when i walked into a room as a woman i had to do every joke to show them that i'm funny and i had to have every set piece so they know i can write action and i had to have you know and I don't feel like I have to um, prove, I, I feel like actually just getting, because making movies is hard, just threading the needle. I'm, you know, I'm dealing with people who they're having their own hard time getting their movies made. So just having threaded that needle, they know how hard it is to get a movie made and, um, and, and have it hit the screen and have people respond to it well. So I think it just gives you a little more benefit of the doubt. And I think the benefit of the doubt is really kind of a lot in this business. I mean, we've all seen people with, you know, moderate talent, but a lot of benefit of the doubt do amazingly well. And we've seen people have to struggle to sort of earn the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, I always believe that things worth earning are better, you know, in a weird way, like having having to put it in the footwork to be able to walk in the room and say, Hey guys, when I say this, is going to be funny. It's like, it's, it's, it is, you know, and this is going to be, you know, uh, a funny scene. I, you know, I don't love telling jokes in the room, but I always felt like I had to tell a lot of jokes <laughs> so that people knew, you know, yeah, I could, you know, not even just in the context of the movie, but just like, Oh no, I gotta, 
I don't want to do that. I, I just want to <laughs> pitch the movie and, you know, but I don't, I don't know, but I do feel a little more wind in my back for sure. But making movies is hard. <laughs> um, final five arc. Well, one more. Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask about um, like genre uh, filmmaking and genre writing in specific, because, because, you know, this is a, a, obviously you, you nailed it right on genre on on this script like you really hit all the beats that you want out of this kind of movie is that something that you're looking to do um you know in your next project are you trying to do another genre film or are you looking to do other kinds of work i love genre i just love it so much i i i like these movies where you know what movie you're in and then you can upend the expectations but you know i feel like uh, you know i i have to and, and I'm going to throw a bouquet to writer-director Pat Healy, who's also a, a really great actor. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever had him on his show, but he and I were roommates for a little while, and he watches a movie a day. <laughs> and, you know, when he was my roommate, we were we got his boxes of laser discs, and he was like, <laughs> oh, rubbish, we can't watch movies on the television. We need a laser disc player. Um, yeah. and, and we... You know, I've really tried to watch a movie a day whenever I can, um, because I feel like it's just so insightful. Um, and, you know, the movies I always respond to so well are these genre movies, because, you know, a lot of them are about the wages of sin and uh, a balance sheet of like good and evil and fair and unfair and the, the cost of redemption, you know. Um, and I just really enjoy these movies so much. Um, most of them are very male and I feel like it's, it's an opportunity to bring women into genre films in a way that works and feels like it incorporates real women's stories. Um, then again, like Finn Wheeler is not a woman. So, but I also feel like I brought a woman's point of view to Werewolves Within that, you know, um, and, and so did Josh Rubin, you know, even though he's a dude, he is a, he's, he's very, um, He's very female friendly and he, he understood, you know, sort of um, Finn Wheeler's struggle, struggle with masculinity and what that meant in sort of today's landscape. He was really understanding of the themes um, of, of sort of toxic masculinity and, you know, these sort of, I, I'm getting off talk, but, but I love genre. I love Sergio Leone. I, I love, <laughs> you know, Peck and Paw. I love uh, Carpenter. I love, you know, Lone Wolf and Cub. I love samurai movies and, um, you know, uh, Hong Kong martial arts movies. And, I, you know, it's like you're, I love, love, love it. Um, and I actually feel like um, Lone Wolf and Cub was a big watershed for me too, because in every single Lone Wolf and Cub movie, which these are these really fun revenge stories. I love revenge stories too, but in every single movie, there's at least one really badass female assassin. And I used to watch these awesome killer women in these movies. And I never said like, this isn't realistic. This doesn't, you know, I was always along for the ride. I always felt like, um, these women had really great storylines in these, you know, very violent martial arts movies. And uh, I'm, I'm off ta target, but yes, genre. Yes, yes, genre with funny. Nice. Genre with funny, I love it. 
All right, Liz, take it away. <laughs> so we're g- I'm going to revise the question slightly for for a final five. Um, what's the first script you ever wrote, and how do you feel about it now? Oh my God, the first script I ever wrote. It was about a cu- you know the first script I ever wrote. I was like 21 years old. It was about a couple that goes to rehab together, and it was like a screwball comedy. Um, <laughs> and um, in hindsight, it was horribly. It was like horribly it was in such bad taste but um in in hindsight like it had a lot of really charming qualities you know it was a great freshman try and um it taught me uh, a lot it, it made me buy final draft how about that or like a screenwriting <laughs> software so what's the best writing advice you've ever received um walter mosley uh, was my advisor in the Sundance Screenwriters Lab. And he told me to write every day because writing is unconscious. And so if you're in your conscious mind while you're writing, you're not you're not doing the thing and you're not gonna get what's meant to be on the page. It's you're just like, you're gonna be tapping into all this uh, BS conscious mind stuff and you need to get to your unconscious. And the only way to do that is to write every day. So. Mm. And he's, he's really, 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 really prolific. Um, do you have a goal for your career that you'd like to hit? Boy, I, you know, I, sure. I mean, I, I, I'd like to direct one one day. I would, I really would. Um, I'm not in any rush. I feel like I'm learning so much from just writing and, and, um, and I know there are people that, you know, that's got to happen now. But I feel like, um, you know, I, I, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm having so much fun. Um, if you go, if you could go back in time, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself? God, it's so hard. I wasted so much time. Um, but like, none of it's really time wasters. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wouldn't change a thing. You know, I, <laughs> I mean, I did stupid stuff. I did everything, you know, I had a lot of careers, you know, I bartended a lot of nights, you know, I, you know, I I did stupid things that young people shouldn't do and, you know, went everywhere, did stand up for 10 years, like, who knows, but, you know, I, I had a crazy odyssey of an arc that took longer than it needed to, but, you know, I, 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 I can't complain. I think I know the answer to the next one. Is making movies hard? <laughs> I, yes. I, I Making Werewolves Within was not hard, but making movies is hard. I think it's hard for everybody. You know, it's a it's a huge asset. And you're asking someone to give write a check for a lot, lot, lot of money. And, you know, there's got to be a lot of trust and a lot, you know. It, and it's also, you're asking people you don't know that well to write a check for a lot of money. That's the weird thing about it. It's like, <laughs> it's not like you're asking your mom. It's like you're asking people you don't know that, that, that well. Um, um, yeah. Oh, go, Alaric. <laughs> where, where should people go to find out more about you? Where can they watch Werewolves Within and where can they read more about you? Watch Werewolves Within June 25th in theaters. Um, it's coming out on IFC Midnight's Distributing, and I think it'll be at Alamo Draft House and Landmark Theaters. Um, you you can also uh, watch it on pay. You can pay to watch it starting in July. And um, if you want to find out more about me, you can uh, find me at missionawolf.com with two Fs. Uh, 
Done. Awesome. We did it. Thanks so much. Thank you, Ulrich. You 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 let me talk a lot. <laughs> okay, Liz. So what do you remember from our talk with Mishnah? I remember that I was very lost and pretending that I knew what was going on for the first 20 minutes. Um, I don't know what Ubisoft is. I didn't even know at all that there was like a, a process of adapting video games to movies. I didn't even know about any of this. So I just remember just like nodding a lot and smiling and like trying to catch up. Um, and I also remember, I was thinking about this the other day, how like Mishnah's background is like perfect for someone who pitches in the entertainment industry. Like I think all of us should go and do stand up for 10 years and then come back and go and pitch to development executives for the next five. And I really think we would all do much better than we're all doing right now. Yeah, no, it was interesting. I mean, I, I play many Ubisoft games. They're a fantastic developer, um, which was so funny because none of the games she mentioned were games that I would have gone after but maybe it's because all the games that i would have picked are like already in development um because they're the, the bigger titles you know like like raymond legends and stuff like that um but anyways this is gibberish this is like but uh but yeah i don't know it's, it's just really fascinating to me that she picked this game of all games she could have picked and then she completely changed it it's like not even it's like very loose loose adaptation like they're like it's a completely different time period none of the characters are the same um, but the, the general concept, the general co like idea and the core of the game is in the movie, which I think is really wonderful. I haven't played the game because I don't have a, a VR set. You know, I can't play PSVR, but because um, oh. it's a VR game. But uh, it reminds me of that card game that people like to play. Have you ever played that game where it's like, you know, it's like, oh, you're all in a town and there's a werewolf and then you all get cards oh. dealt to you and then you like guess like you know who you try to figure out who the werewolf is based off the cards and like asking questions no. and it's like but a, I love this. a witch hunt type of card game i like board games i like physical <laughs> games so this I'm just i'm not a video game person so when i heard the title and then i read about the game i was like this is just like that that freaking card game that people like so much you know um yeah. so i wonder if there's a connection there if it was just inspired by but um but yeah capturing that feeling the movie did an amazing job so Anyways, I hope you guys like this talk with Mishnah. I really loved it. Um, but Liz, I think it's time. Get shorty. Get in the hot seat. So you make movies, huh? I produce feature motion pictures. I got an idea for a movie. So this week we're talking about Ulrich's short film Conflict. Here's Ulrich to talk about the short. All right. So as you know, I'm Ulrich. Um, and I'm going to talk today about my film Conflict. Uh, starring um, Ed uh, Gonzalez Moreno and Sofia Lapaglia that I um, made, um, you know, as part of the show, actually, as part of the Making Movies is Hard iPhone film challenge. I wrote this many years ago about a conversation I had with an ex-girlfriend, so that was sort of why I made it, um, because I really wanted to tell the story. This is something that I had lived with for probably six or seven years as a script uh, after we watched uh, Idiocracy. And uh, we didn't see it at a movie theater. We saw it at, at uh, my apartment. But um, to bring it into a movie theater venue would be really great. And I was a huge fan of the Grand Lake Theater, so I had written it with the Grand Lake Theater in mind. You know, I asked them if they would let me shoot there. They said yes. And then I took another four years, I think, after that to actually go back and take them up on the offer yeah it was really important to me because of this this real conversation that was 
as heated as that, I wasn't proposing to her or wasn't planning on proposing to her or anything. That was an added thing I did for drama. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really did end with, I think she drove away. I think she was going to stay over and I think she just left. Very dramatic. And why did, uh, how did I come up with the funds? Uh, it was really cheaply made. Uh, you know, I think I, I spent 50 bucks on food for everybody uh, who, who came out and worked for free for that one night. And I didn't have to pay the, the, the location anything. They were very generous with, their, with the time. Before making the short, what did you think would happen to your career because of it? Yeah, I, I guess I didn't really think much. I, I was just happy to get the story out and I wanted to see how well it would work. Um, as a oneer shooting on an iPhone, like I just wanted to see, like, could it be done? Could I bring the vision to life at all? What ended up happening? Well, almost no one watched it. Uh, I thought I would get more views than I did. I didn't really promote it at all. I didn't submit it to any film festivals or anything. I think I got like 50 views or something like that. And yeah, I thought I would get at least 500, but yeah, no, like hardly anybody saw this. And, um, yeah, I, but I also didn't really put any effort or time into promoting it, so I guess it's it's my fault for that. Um, so yeah, nothing ended up happening. Now that it's out in the world, what purpose does it serve? I'd say it's a, it's just a, a reminder of what you can achieve um, with an iPhone and a tiny little crew. It just captures that. I guess what it really does is it captures that fieriness, that kind of um, conflict that you have and that you can have in a relationship. And so I don't think it really captures us as people at all because it's totally dramatized but i do think that it captures like the energy and the the strain that can happen when a relationship isn't isn't working or isn't isn't good <laughs> would i do anything differently to the story net wise now that the short is done and released um probably not story wise i think i would maybe not shoot it as a oneer if i got the chance to do it again and and honestly the theater offered for me to shoot it again they were like oh you want to come back and redo anything let, let us know so i could like go back with i have a bunch of better equipment now like I, I i was using a gimbal that i was borrowing from a friend friend of the show jeff jeffrey l moore or l jeffrey moore um i borrowed his gimbal for this and um yeah i have my own gimbal now i have a really good low light um dslr now so i could do the same movie on a much better gimbal uh, with a much better camera, with a much better lens, and so we won't have such such the lighting issues that we had, and um, it would be a lot smoother. I'm also a way better gimbal operator than, now than I was at the time, so I think I would do a better job of going down the stairs and making the whole thing smooth. Um, I don't know, I might be able to get it all in one if I did it again now. I think it's three. There's three times. I think it's once at, at and they, after they cross the street, and then it's once at the car. So then there's two two edits, so it's three takes strung together. Um, but I was really happy with the performances. I thought the the actors did a great job, and um, and yeah, I hope people like it. And I maybe one day I'll promote it more, and hopefully people will see it, or maybe it'll make it on a DVD of a uh, of a movie of my feature or something. Or yeah, that'll probably be it. I'll probably put it on the on the extras extra feature um, on the alternate because. You know, the lead in this, Ed uh, Gonzalez Moreno, is also the lead in the alternate. So it might be a fun thing for people to see a project we did before making the feature. Ritesh, welcome to the show. Hello. Uh, <laughs> can you give us your bio so people can learn a little bit more about you before we dig into talking about Ulrich Short? So I just have been working in the industry for the past six years in uh, festival programming and film and TV development, and occasionally writing for Movie Maker magazine. Um, I, uh, some of the places that I've worked at are at Sundance, where I met Liz actually for the first time. 
Uh, I was reading for the episodic lab there. And uh, currently I am a senior programmer at the Indian Film Festival of Los Angeles. Um, okay, so normally, just to bring some context for our listeners, you have all the context already, but uh, normally we bring in a submitted short and we just talk about it very constructively. And we decided we would turn the turn the stage on ourselves because um, because we hurt someone's feelings a few weeks ago with our constructive criticism. So we want, this is our gesture to say, we dish it out, but we can take it too. Um, so Ritesh and I are gonna talk about Auric short film, and then in another episode, you'll be talking about my short film. <laughs> ah! All right, so uh, let, why don't you kick it off? Tell us your immediate, immediate impressions of conflict. Sure. Uh, first of all, thanks for sharing both these shorts. And I'm a little scared of like how I'm going to come across to like all the very much washed masses <laughs> who are listening to your short. You invited me to tear the shorts, the shorts to bits, but I, you know, I hope to be constructive. Um, so yeah, I mean, conflict. I mean, a lot of the context that I was getting, I always like to think about the context in which I'm viewing something because it's very hard. Like we just view so much context. I mean, so much content in general, like, you know, be it YouTube or just like walking on the street or we just, our lives are full of snippets of things. So it's important for me to know what, how to attend to something when I'm watching it. So mm. in this case, when I, it's, this is on YouTube. So I was looking at the description and it felt like a challenge. Like it felt like someone, like, uh, like one of the, uh, actually one of the actors in the, in the short, um, L. Jeffrey Moore, I believe, had challenged uh, Ulrich to make the short on an iPhone. So it felt like an iPhone challenge. So I kind of was viewing it more from that set. Like it was an exercise in getting a short film done using the limited tech, like the, like the limited tech that you have available to you when you're shooting on an iPhone. So that's how that's how I went to it. So I wasn't expecting the con the concept to be like super dazzly because I thought of this as a challenge to uh, just to make tell a simple story, tell a story of two characters doing something. So the concept was okay. I mean, you know, it wasn't like something that uh, would have interested me intrinsically if you just told me that here's a film about, if you, if you tell me that this is a film about um, two couples who are, who are breaking up after like having a disagreement over a film that they just saw in a movie theater, that wouldn't have interested me in itself. But the fact yeah. that it's, they're trying to make a oneer, and they're trying to um, do this on an iPhone, and and also like you know this the, the beautiful theater, the theater that they set, the the shot in the Grand Lake, the Great Lake Theater in Oakland, I just love that as well. So the, the conceptually, I was okay with it. Um, I think more could have been done with it, uh, and I'm gonna go into a little bit of detail regarding that. So like some of the questions I had is yes, like. Um, they were the only two people left, so maybe they were they had caught the last show mm-hmm. and um, like the last screening in the inside in, in the theater. And I was just wondering, like, who else was there? Because usually, like, there should be employees, and we see like right. there was we see in one of the as they're leaving, we see like someone standing very like, someone sitting very cryptically by a booth, and I kind of had to kind of go back and uh, catch them uh, because they just at the corner of the shot. So I just wanted. A little bit fleshing out. It should have, should have felt a little bit more realistic 
maybe they could have just gotten a couple of background actors to be staged, someone sweeping. Someone sweeping, totally a sweeper for sure. You know, like popcorn crumbs or whatever, (laughs) Um, (laughs) because people. Um, And um, also, um, you know, I think that they kind of got into the fight immediately. I, I was trying to figure out, he wanted to make a short, like it was like four or five minutes. So they kind of had to get to the conflict immediately, but just like a couple of sentences to kind of, um set the tone of the relationship because uh mm-hmm. the female character directly launches into uh her hatred for the for the film and the writing for the female character i think wasn't as strong because the arguments she was giving were, were repetitive like i just say to the film it took away two hours of my life yeah. uh it was um you know hokey and cliche and um and she started off, I think there could have been a little bit of a build toward, to, towards her. Or just seeing them as like a status quo. Like what was the status quo of their relationship before the fight started? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, in a way, I liked, I liked the misdirect. So like, I liked the misdirect of the score. Like initially, like when he, in, in the bathroom, when he's like seeing the ring. Yeah. Um, I, the score, I thought I was going to be watching a suspense thriller a little bit, just because it was, there was this like, <laughs> ominous tone to some of it and you know i guess that it was ominous in one sense that i thought it was gonna be a different kind of film which i liked that misdirect um but i would i just wanted a little bit more because there was a lot more specificity to the writing and the arguments that the male character was making about the film and then about their relationship so that was one area where if i had read the script in advance i would have given that feedback um because she just repeats the same lines again so i just wanted like more nuance from from that character um my, so i my have no- to say like from her having had that fight with my now husband where like i get really upset if he if he embraces a film that i think is so atrocious and i'm like well now i'm looking at you differently like i can't get past that you know what i mean like she may be repeating herself but it's because it's a sticking point but i agree like the nuance of what he's saying is a lot more uh, uh, more complex, I guess. Yeah, I mean, going back to the earlier point, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, to the earlier point about uh, the status quo, I mean, in a way, the actors had good chemistry that I believe that they had been in this relationship for a long time. So her launching into, to, to, to your point, her launching into the, like, oh, I, you kind of wasted my life and like, <laughs> I, and you're wasting our relationship, all of that, like that, that made sense just because I don't know, they kind of worked well together. I kind of got a yeah. sense. I could read between uh, their body language and I got a sense of where they were going. And of course, the cinematography as they were going down the great stairs, I liked how uh, we moved from the medium to the wide to kind of show the beauty of the theater. And then we kind of went back to um, a medium on their backs and then it was wide after they left the theater. So I liked the camera angles. For me, the sticking points that like the, the the sticky the not sticky what's the word uh like the things that didn't land as well as the lighting so uh when when he comes out of the restroom and we see her it's dark on her and that i mean that's for me is like not a great like within uh within like three seconds we see her but then i think your first time we're seeing your character unless there's a specific story reason that you want her to be not well lit like i thought it wasn't that that could have been I don't know. I, I'm not a I'm not a gaffer, but like a China ball or whatever I remember from from film school. Like I have the thing. same comment all the time on this show. Like I want to see who these characters are. I need to see their faces when they get established, right? 
I totally get that. And we don't see her face too much at all during the show, except for that one part in uh, when they're walking on the sidewalk once they've come out and they're uh, under the streetlight. Oh, right. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's when we see her face much more clearly. But otherwise, we see his face very in the very beginning when he's yeah. in the bathroom. So that was something I, was, I would have um, changed. And the other lighting, the big missed opportunity with the lighting is the very end when... Oh. I that know. for me, like, because there were there were street lights. There were street lights. They could have placed the homeless man in another corner, but or like push lights. They could have put something around him, like battery powered lights, right around him. Yeah, because that was a big ending. Like, if you were starting with the ring, you want to see the ring at the end, and like it could have been a nice because like the, the homeless character played by I think the person who challenged him to make the film, um, like he was doing a good job, like like he was doing a lot. With, like the five seconds that he had uh it was almost like a smeagol moment i want to see smeagol holding the ring and like you know gleefully um and i I like what he said like i do i do and like i just wanted i wanted i wanted the ring to show i wanted like the little gold in that dark cup to show that would have been a nice cinematic touch i think that was a missed opportunity um in terms of the location sound um again i'm not I mean, I should have prefaced by saying I'm not a filmmaker, so I don't know the technicalities of these things. But the one thing that I did uh, kind of take me out of the, the, the sound of the actors is once they've gone down the stairs and they're heading towards the door, like suddenly the volume, I, I don't know the technical terms of the volume, the, the voices just sound uh, louder and it's more echoey. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how you control for that, but I'm sure there's something you can do in post that kind of balances that out. Well, I'm sure they couldn't have like a, I mean, I didn't see potential for a boom to follow them. And so I think it was just the loves, right? Like they didn't have like a backup sound to pull from and and who knows what room tone. Yeah, I have the same. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, like the room tone. Yeah, I guess they didn't capture the room tone if they didn't have a boom. But I was very, con- I was very aware that that little path before the door was like, it just sounded different. It kind of pulled me out yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Um, the 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 you know the actual so, well, I enjoyed the writing when and he again he was given the like the stronger lines like was his lines about her work about the nonprofit they were all good and they were mm-hmm. like well, good observations but her comebacks were more general um, so mm-hmm. I just wanted more balance yeah. balance in that but yeah I mean I think as an um, as an iPhone challenge. Um, I, I think they were, about the oneer, they got stuck with a little. There was a cut once they got on that pavement. They cut. There was like yeah. one place where they cut, and I think they could have walked a little bit longer until they got the car. They could have, they could have probably just um, held out the oneer, but maybe there was someone there because they were shooting live, and right. I could see like they, at one point there were like two people, <laughs> like when, when they were fighting, there, there were like these two fascists by like waiting there, like wondering, oh, should we be going forward? So I could tell that this was shot during <laughs> like live conditions. So I appreciated how hard it is to do that. Um, but I could have held out the one or just, I, I'm wondering what that, that take looked if they hadn't cut. Yeah. Well, just to reinforce or add or add on to some of the things you said, like I do feel also cinematographically the man was favored throughout the entire film. Um, camera favored him and lighting favored him. And he did seem to have uh, the driving engine of the scene. Right. So I totally agree with you. Um, 
I did notice a few flaws in the operation of the iPhone. I mean, it's really hard when you're doing a one-er to make it perfectly. So I just wanted to note it. And then I actually, the homeless guy at the end, I thought his performance felt really false. And I agree that the lighting was really tough about that. Um, and this, I have, the, you know, very, very similar notes to everything you said. I judged it a little harshly because I didn't, because I always judge all these films like, it's a film. I'm going to judge it as a film. So all my notes are like, you put it on the world, here are my notes. Um, but if we were to take the context in, like, great job. You found a location. You you challenge yourself even further by doing a long take, you know, with complicated operation and choreography and all these things very interesting involving a car I mean what if she couldn't pull out into the street there's so many variables right um so I think the gamble was worth it but agree that it could have been finessed even more to really prove its point so to speak yeah one of the main variables that operationally like because when they got out like the the walk signal had to be on for them to right. cross the street so I, I wonder how they planned for that because I didn't think I saw a cut until I think the cut was once they got to the other side and the sidewalk on the other side um or, or they were told like maybe they were told to improvise like who knows yeah what was scripted and what wasn't yeah so I think I appreciate the level of difficulty yeah um yeah I, I think I think yeah you're just like I, going going with what you said about the film you're putting it out there I think that the one big the two big sticky points for me are female character writing and the lighting at the end yeah yeah I think those are two big flaws but otherwise it was it was good to see I mean I'm always in awe of iPhone films I mean it's very few that are very good like Tangerine was like fantastic you know? um, but it's still really hard so I appreciate it in that respect oh we're being too nice for the goal of being shitting on these films uh okay Ulrich you're not here but we're gonna see you soon <laughs> so Hey, Ulrich, you've got mail. You've got it. My breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. You've got mail. So, this week we have a letter from editor and friend of the show, Cameron Caves. He's been listening to the show forever. And when I found out that he's like just finishing up college, he's probably listening to this thing since he was in high school. And he even edited episodes for us like way a long time ago. Um, five years ago, maybe. Anyways, um, he's, he's a great guy. Um, here's what Cameron wrote. Um, Haven't edited an episode in a while, but this isn't about that. Ha ha. Recently, I've been wanting to do more filmmaking jobs. I already have a job with a friend of mine's production company, and I've worked on three projects so far through that. But that's a sporadic thing, so I'm trying to get more uh, work more regularly. Obviously, I don't really count my own films either. I'm mainly trying to get crew experience in other people's films. I think I have the reverse of what you have, where you've said before you're too busy working on other people's films to work on your own, but I actually wanted to work on other people's films more than my own. This is also <laughs> the first time in my life I can like drive places, so I'm really trying to take advantage of that. I was wondering how you normally get your jobs. Do you use Mandy.com? Because I'm wary of like any service that requires a paid subscription to get jobs. Results on jobs from Mandy seem mixed from my other filmmaking friends. Do you just know people who recommend you all the time? 
I'm sure you've talked about this on, other, on, pop, on the podcast years ago, probably, but I figured I should just directly ask you. I don't really have any preference as to what kind of job, as long as it's a filmmaking job. I'd be an intern or a PA or whatever I need to be. I'm one year from getting my BA at Sac State in film production, and I want to have a long list of credits by the time I graduate so that I can feel confident that I can get a job in this field. I already have around 40 credits. Wow. But I want more. Oh. Any suggestions? So what do you think I should do? Thanks in advance. Um, so Liz, mm. I mean, you've been freelance before and you're freelance now, right? So yeah. what's your process? How do you get work and how have you gotten work in the past? Um, well, I, it, when I was originally freelance, it was like 2010 and it was, I did freelance like assistant work and the way I found it were through personal references. I did get one job based off of Craigslist. Um, Mandy didn't work for me because those are all production oriented jobs, right? So like no one, I, and I wasn't interested in necessarily being an office PA for a longer term. Um, and I wasn't interested in working in the agency. So it was a lot of actually social media, personal references, getting out there and being like, yeah, I'm looking for a job, looking for a job. Emailing professors, emailing um, friends and, and family, things like that. And then now I have kind of mentors who refer work to me when they're not interested. <laughs> like I usually get like, I'm like uh, the, the, cause I would say those people are discarding the clients, but they're like my ideal clients. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'll write articles a lot or do podcasts and talk about what I do. And that usually garners and speaking engagement that garners jobs. It's tough because I'm not production. But that being said, I've like never really heard anyone say I want to work on other projects instead of my own and I love <laughs> it's like so nice to hear someone say that out loud um I think the issue I just want to speak really quickly to Cameron's quandary which is if you're in a low budget shoot you're going to bring on PAs that have expertise in multiple things most likely because you're going to be really strapped for money to bring in labor and so if I were him I would you know, I would market myself with the multiple positions I've filled so that you can be that Swiss army knife for the production. Because if 40 credits, I assume they're not just 40 credits of PA. I assume they're 40 credits of different roles. Right. But like the, maybe he'll tell us. And for being a PA, it doesn't really matter because like, you know, it is, it doesn't really matter how many movies you've made. I mean, it really matters like how many sets you've been on as a PA is what they really care about and like what kind of professional set experience you have. Um, yeah. But like when you're starting out as a PA, people understand that you may not have that much experience. And as long as you are like somewhat like you basically have to show that you're smart, you can listen, you take direction and that you're going to show up on time. Like those are like the most important things for anyone doing any kind of like entry level position. Um, and so if you've made movies and you love movies, um, that really helps because they know that you're going to like put a lot of effort into this and you're going to show up and you're going to care and you're going to do a good job. Um, so I, I, uh, you know, I started as a freelancer right out of college. Um, I did five internships when I was in college. Um, and, uh, I graduated right, um, you know, in, uh, January of 2009. So right after the market crash in 2008, so like I was at ABC seven working on um, a daytime talk show, a variety show as an intern. 
And, you know, around whatever, November or December, they pulled me into their office and they were like, okay, Ulrich, well, normally, like, you're the, one of the best interns we've ever had. You're doing a fantastic job, blah, blah. Normally, we'd be offering you a job, but we just fired four people, so you're not going to get a job oh. <laughs> right now. And I was like, okay, shit. So I basically, like, um, Gave myself three months to find a job before I was going to do... I used to be in, into broadcast, so I had, like, my reel. I was going to, you know, be on camera as a talent, you know, and do the whole I thing. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I had, like, you know, 12 different shirts and, like, 12 different ties, and I had a whole reel with all the different ties and shirts, so, like, I could, like, show that I... Like, I would go into the studio at school, like, <laughs> do four costume changes in an hour and, like, do, like, you know, four different bits, and then, like, that was, like, my reel. Um, and so before I did that, I was like, well, let me see if I can get a job here in the Bay Area before I moved to Ohio to like work in the morning show or whatever. Um, and, uh, and I was able to get a job through Craigslist. Um, you know, that's kind of how I got my first, my first bit of work, like go Craigslist and then just like go every day, check the crew jobs, just check the gigs, see if there was anything there. Um, I also, I used to use monster when monster was a thing and like look for jobs through monster. Um, and then I, 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 the Mandy existed, but like they didn't have a very uh, large presence in um, San Francisco. It was all Los Angeles at the time. And then um, I used a thing called the Real Directory, which is like a Bay Area, Northern California um, Bible of all the crew um, that work in, in the area across all of Northern California. Although I think like basically up and down the peninsula, all the way to Sacramento, through every, everything Northern California. Um, and I used to go on there and I wanted to be an AD assistant director at first. And so I just called a bunch of assistant directors and asked for advice. Um, like I just graduated, I'm looking for work. Like, uh, what advice did you have? And then I met a few people through there and one of them became, is like actually a lifelong friend of mine now. Um, you know, 20 years later, almost 20 years later, he got me on my first free freebie job as a camera assistant working on like a real set with like a moho and, you know, like jib and all the fancy thing like a 40 person crew and i worked for free for like four, three days and that was like mm -hmm. one of the first things and that kind of led to a lot of other things later um so i guess what i'm saying is like just got to be really proactive and like get yourself out there and like reach out to people you know um don't be afraid to work for free you know especially on bigger things that you know you can help get you more experience that will help you get more jobs i used to like hear about when the big shows would come to town so like there was a show called trauma um, that was on NBC, um, you know, back uh, around that time. And then um, Trauma was in town. I wanted to get on Trauma so bad. I couldn't get on Trauma. No one, it couldn't get an interview, whatever. So I just went to the set. I just went down the set. I ran to somebody I knew who was um, being a stand-in, whatever. He told me who the, P the key PA was. I went over the key PA. I introduced myself. He took my number down. Mm -hmm. He called me next week. I got my first job on that big show. Um, and so... It's like that kind of thing really helps. Like if just getting yourself out there, introducing yourself to people, like can really help. And he didn't never ask for a resume. He never asked, to, you know, anything. Like that was just how I got my foot in the door, um, you know, on that show. So, yeah. It's who you know. It's, it's who you know. And yeah, and just asking questions. But I, I mean, it was it was easier for me that I knew the stand-in, that I was able to like, you know, ask him questions. But you know, you could have just, it could have been nobody. He, like, you could have just not known anybody and been like, hey, you know, like, what's going on? Like, you, you could do that too, you know? I mean, I also think, like, when, because I'm usually trying to find crew, and I usually pull in people, 
like I tried to find an intern in the past for my first feature and the people who responded who spent like up to 10 hours at most a week with us trying to crowdfund and, and develop the film. I then brought one, this guy, Nick, my friend Nick on who wanted to do camera and I brought him into, I like negotiated with our camera department to say like, can we have Nick as part of it? Cause he's already volunteered so many hours for the production. So I think there's a way outside of production to come into production too. Like if you were to intern or support in development or pre-production or be a runner or something like that, um, a production may want to reward you. Uh, yeah, I, I'm really curious what other people think. Like what, what have they done to get their first jobs? Because yeah. the truth is like once you get a couple jobs, then you meet more people and then you just start getting phone calls. And then the phone calls just start coming in and then uh, it's just sort of an organic process once you've done some work, you know, and then, but like one of the things people told me when I was starting out was like to go hang out by, um, you know, equipment shops, like go make friends with the people who run the gear, um, you know, rental places because oh. they're the ones who know when the, the jobs are coming in. And like, you know, if you become their friend, then you can kind of get heads really up and then you can, you know, maybe find out who the producer is and then reach out and like, you know, see yeah. if they need help and just sort of be around because like, you know, it's like, oh, we need an, we need an uh, uh, AC, you know, intern or a camera PA or whatever, or a camera intern. Like, oh, come in. So I, one of the things I asked Cameron, I emailed him back. I was like, what do you like? If you had a focus, it would be easier because then you could target people and then ask to be their like intern or their apprentice or shadow yeah. them for a day or whatever. So if you wanted to work in art department, you can go on the real directory or just go and try to find like art directors and then just reach out to them and be like, hey, like. I'm starting out. I really want to be an art department. Like, can I uh, shout at you for a day? Because I mean, that's essentially what I did, and um, it kind of it, it pretty much worked out. You know, kind of got my my uh, my mm. foot in the door with this one guy, and it led to meeting more people. And then he he kept on like every time he had something that didn't wasn't paying, he'd ask me if I wanted to do it. Like I did uh, a series of how to like DIY videos for him and his friend, um, you know, uh, for free at first and then it kind of turned into a pay thing later and then like we made like you know a bunch of videos together me and his friend from that like mm. one recommendation um so it's sort of like i don't know it's like getting yourself out there doing things meeting people connecting and then it's like it just can snowball but um i would say the more focused you are the better for sure yeah cameron we can i mean he's done so much for the show maybe we can do an unsolicited um, ad for Cameron or if he's very specific <laughs> about what he's looking for we can read it on the show and maybe someone listening in the Sacramento area needs an extra hand yeah totally I know there's a pretty good sized film community in Sacramento I've worked with some Sacramento uh, crew um, you know I mean if, if it's good enough for Greta Gerwig it's good enough for everyone absolutely I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, it doesn't have to be good. <laughs> I don't even know why I'm saying that. I'm just like, I just want to show that I know she's from there. Yeah. Well, uh, everyone knows that, by the way, Liz. Everyone Damn knows it. that. Damn it. <laughs> um, but yeah, people, like, email us, tweet at us, uh, YouTube comment at us. Let us know what your experiences were like when you got started. And if our advice is good or if our advice is stupid. Because it yeah. uh, would be good to know. <laughs> 
Um, but if you want to be like Cameron Caves, you can send us a question, comment, or suggestion to podcast at mickeymoviesishard.com. Or if you like the show a lot, you can leave us a review on iTunes or any of the other places you can leave reviews for podcasts, which I think is nowhere. Um, or if you really, really love the show, you can go over to Patreon at www.patreon.com slash podcast and just give us what you can. A buck, two bucks, four bucks. I don't think you can get 50 cents, but if you could, I w- that would be great. We'll take um, it somehow. But yeah, I mean, we have a lot of support through Patreon, so we really appreciate everybody over there who's doing that. Um, and then finally, make sure to go to our Facebook, our Instagram, our Twitter, and finally the YouTube page where you can join all the lovely folks like G-Ken who are out there commenting on episodes every week. Um, um, thank you to everyone for listening. Thanks to Mishna for coming on the show and to Judy Merrick from Katrina Wan PR for setting up this interview. Check out our website, makingmoviesishard.com, where you can find... Um, you know, links to the things we talked about on other episodes. <laughs> so thanks to editor Cameron. Cameron, are you editing this too? We're looking out for you, Cameron. Let's get you more jobs. Um, thanks to you for editing this episode. Uh, okay, thanks everyone for listening and talk to all of y'all next week. Um. Oh, well, yeah, if you have premiere open. That is, <laughs> that's a stretch. Yeah, I have like a, you know, whatever, hour and a half movie shot and partially 8K open on my computer. It's it's bad. I think that's one of the reasons why some of the um, the recordings are slow, because uh, of that reason. <laughs> well, but, there's a solution. I know, but I'm working on it. I got, I'm working yeah. on my ADR, man. Um, but yeah, I do close it, especially when it's an important interview. I mean, not that our little talks aren't important, but, you know, when it's like <laughs> Myron, you know. Shut it down. Um, VIP Myron. Yeah. I'm recording on QuickTime, just so you know, and now the Zoom is recording. So everyone can hear our story cool. about tabs. <coughs> oh, man. I got a little piece of... Co- this is like a Mexican um, pastry from uh, the Mexican market that I go to sometimes. Ooh. Um, and uh, it's got little pieces of coconut, and some coconut got in my throat. Ooh. Bad. But it's still delicious because it's coconut. It's very good. Uh, it's a good cough. Uh-huh.